0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire.
1: The Chicago Bulls select Kobe White. Levine with the runway!
0: over it. Up or get out the way, Trey Young.
2: welcome to cash considerations a chicago bulls podcast we're on the blue wire network make sure you're also checking out our new program blue wire hustle i'm ricky o'donnell i'm here with jason pat we got a special guest on the line it's cody Westerland who covers the bulls for 670 the score we got a lot to talk about because it was a pretty wild day uh, throughout the world, throughout the NBA, throughout Chicago sports today, but uh, I think the first thing we should talk about is this James Harden trade, uh, and you know, just to, just to kick off the discussion, uh, we'll start with you, Cody. What was your initial reaction to seeing the Harden trade, Harden going to Brooklyn? Of course, a lot of moving pieces in that trade, but the main storyline there is that Harden is joining Kyrie Irving. Probably. Kevin Durant, <laughs> definitely. Uh, you know, what What do you think? And then for both of you, I'm also going to ask a follow-up of, you know, where do you think the Nets end this season as Eastern Conference champions, as NBA champions, or as, you know, eliminated before the
3: finals? So. Well, I would say, Ricky, for the Nets' sake, they should be ending this season as NBA champions because that's why you made this trade. You sure didn't make it for four or five years from now you for this year and next year. And I think that's why it's so risky. So you asked for the first initial reaction. I, I, don't, I don't like it from a Nets perspective. I, I get it, but I just thought they already could have had the best team in the Eastern conference. And even though they now have a star trio and as you joked about Kyrie Irving, we never know if one third of the trio is going to be there and report to work on any given day, even if it all goes to plan, I still like the Lakers a lot against them in the NBA finals in a matchup. And I say that for a couple reasons and reason number one, I think the Lakers defense uh, is going to be as well positioned as anyone in the NBA to, to still guard a team with three stars like that with the personnel they have Anthony Davis protecting the rim. Um, Caldwell Pope on the perimeter. LeBron can lock in on defense when it's the NBA finals. And, and he wants to rise to the occasion in, in those scenarios. But the other thing is, Uh, I think Kyrie and James Harden overlap a little bit with each other. Obviously, all these guys want the ball in their hands, but we've seen Kevin Durant can play so well off the ball. We saw that in Golden State. But James Harden and Kyrie are guys that need the ball in their hands. So I think while the Nets certainly elevated themselves offensively, I don't think they got so much more efficient that it makes them better than the Lakers Um, notably better than the Lakers where you would be really really feeling good about your chances in a series against them I mean I think it gets them closer to a championship this year and next year and if that's what you want to judge it by I respect that Daryl Morey has always had uh, when he was in Houston the five percent rule give yourself a chance if you think you got that title uh, contention percentage so I get it from the Nets' perspective but but four first-round picks and three or four first-round pick swaps is so much to give up, and I think it's going to backfire at some point. And I still don't think they're necessarily the title favorites here, uh, in my mind, even though they might be at the odds books.
4: Yeah, I totally get why they did it as well. And I, I guess the, the pick stuff, like I know people are talking about like, it. This isn't, like, we want to compare it to the, like the Garnett and Pierce stuff. And those guys were older. I know KD's coming off the Achilles. He looks great. The Kyrie thing is just... I mean, it's such a wild card here. Obviously, like, I wonder if part of, like getting spurred into it. I mean, Harden doing the whole thing last night was goofy, and that probably spurred it as well. But I, like, I wonder how much is also a hedge on Kyrie being goofy this year, like and maybe not being there. Like, I, I know, shit, Sh- Sh- said today that they're expecting Kyrie back, but uh, I mean, I guess who knows what's what's going on with him. He was he was partying apparently with family stuff. He was on some po- like pod like Zoom call for like. And and he's doing all his like social justice stuff. Like I get it, but like I wonder how much like them going into this and going all in is also just kind of a hedge against Kyrie maybe not totally being there. So maybe and so like and like offensive. Obviously they're going to be one of the most should be one of the most dominant offensive teams ever. I know you mentioned the overlap and you do have to worry. I know there was that NBA two K kind of like viral video out there about like <laughs> like all three guys just <laughs> passing the ball and like dribbling yeah. around for a or dribbling around just like doing goofy moves and then ch- chucking up a jumper still i mean that that amount of talent overwhelming so i would think that i mean you look at the east i mean the bucks will still be very good celtics once they get kemba back and healthy and all their guys back they should be very good uh, i mean the pacers and we didn't mention that Victor Oladipo is off the Pacers now and going to the Rockets in this trade, which is also kind of crazy. Like the Pacers are good, but you figure they're limited ceiling. Uh, the Heat, I don't the, as much as I love Jimmy and what they did last year. Like I don't know if they can really recreate that again. So you would think that the Nets should probably be the, the favorite in the East, but I also do agree with Cody what you said about uh, the Lakers and just the. I think the defense is just a big factor in general. We know the Lakers can defend at a high level. Can the Nets do that in? Uh, again, if they play the Lakers or even if just getting to the getting to that NBA finals, like can they defend at a high level? I, I looked at their stats today and their defensive numbers were actually better than I thought. But they just they traded Jared Allen in this deal. So he's gone. DeAndre Jordan is a shell of himself. And you have Kyrie Harden and Durant like Durant can defend at a high level. But I mean, it's still off. The, like He's a great scorer. So but off the Achilles, like, is he the defender he used to be? Eh, I don't know. Harden, we know he's not in the best shape right now. You would assume he'll try to lock in more when he's there now, but he's obviously never been that great of a defender. He was pretty good when his start, career started, but whatever. And then Kyrie, we know Kyrie has just defensive problems. So can they play defense at that high level? I don't know. It is going to be fascinating to see how this works out. Big personalities, incredible talent. I don't know if they could stop anybody. It's definitely going to be very, at least very entertaining for us to watch. Yeah, I think my first thought is that even
2: if Kyrie doesn't come back and by all indications, he's like definitely going to come back and it'll seem ridiculous that we even brought this up probably (laughs) two weeks from now. But I think that Harden and Durant could even go to the finals without Kyrie. Uh, now yet they do have some major questions on that roster for sure. Uh, Jared Allen, who felt sort of just like a throw-in in in this trade, he's going to Cleveland. Uh, I think they're going to miss him, and for sure. like You're going to have DeAndre Jordan as your starting center now. I thought Allen was clearly better than him. And they just don't have much else at the five behind them. I think you're going to see Durant at the five minutes. I think you're going to see a lot of Jeff Green at the five, which is mostly where he's been playing so far this year. But they do have some other decent wings. I think, you know, Bruce Brown's playing today. He's someone who hasn't gotten a ton of burn from them so far. But I think he's a pretty good, tenacious defender. you got former Bulls legend TLC. You've got Landry Schmidt. So, yeah, I think that the Nets are the favorites even without Kyrie. And when Kyrie comes back, the thing that they're going to have is just all-time historic shooting, right? Like the three of those guys are three of the greatest shooters ever three of the greatest shot makers ever and they're going to rely on their shooting to take them all the way and the Lakers do have absolutely elite defense but there is no answer for stopping the shot making of James Harden Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant for any of them all those guys can hit shots that are absolutely impossible to defend so uh, I would have liked to move more from Philadelphia's side I was a little disappointed that Philadelphia didn't. didn't go with the Ben Simmons trade uh, I love Tyrese Maxey their
4: rookie who somehow I will, hold, I, will, I will the reporting out there suggests that Simmons that those trades were on the table I, I haven't seen in the last like hour or so but I've seen that they're reporting that they they did have what like Simmons and like one of the young guys maybe the Rockets were asking for more I'm not totally sure like I said I haven't read in like the last hour but I'm, I'm with you I I, I I Simmons just hasn't like done it for me but Sorry for interjecting, but it seemed like it was maybe on the table. Well, yeah. I'm not totally sure. What
2: I read was that they uh, offered Simmons and Theibel, and I didn't hear Maxie's name included in that. So, you know, I think Embiid's playing so terrific this year that it would have been really cool to see Harden and Embiid together. I think that if they got Harden, they're the odds-on favorite in the East, and they could potentially match up against the Lakers, maybe even better, just because Embiid is such a unique problem to solve. Uh, I think when you're projecting out a Nets-Lakers final, like, is Anthony Davis just going to totally wreak havoc on whatever the Nets have (laughs) inside? Davis also has an ability to, like, defend the rim without fouling. And, obviously, Harden uh, is really reliant on drawing fouls. So, I think it's going to be really interesting. But, man, the Nets just have the greatest margin for error ever. I mean, they could play... Dog shit defense. They could have terrible offensive possessions. They could not really get along in the same way that the Lakers do, who've developed this incredible camaraderie. We saw last night, LeBron and Dennis Schroeder are making bets on the court. LeBron's turning around before he even swishes threes. The Lakers' chemistry is very active. Uh They proved it last year in the bubble. I was totally a Lakers doubter coming into that year because I thought they don't have enough depth. Well, now the the Lakers totally proved that concern to be false. The Nets now have a similar problem where they don't have a ton of depth, but the Nets' top three is quite possibly the best top three ever. I mean, the Warriors obviously made it a big four, uh, but it's it's an incredible assortment of talent there, and the shot-making ability just means that they're never going to be out of any game. Uh, it's going to be fascinating, but yeah, if I had to guess right now, I would still take the Lakers over the Nets, but I think it would be a terrific series. So I guess just sort of spinning this forward, let's talk to Cody, who's on the beat. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you, Cody, and it sort of goes into this is that I know you're not the type of guy who's like constantly breaking news, but of course you still hear things. You still talk to people in and around the team. So I'm curious, how tight lipped do you find the current front office in comparison to the GARPAC's regime? And I guess spinning that forward, do you get any indication that, you know, a guy like Zach Levine, Is on the trading block. Could he have more value now that Harden's been moved? Uh, You know, is it maybe a team like Philadelphia or another team loading up for an arms race looking to inquire him? So just curious on, like, the information coming your way as a reporter and sort of how that could possibly pertain to Levine.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think they're incredibly tight-lipped so far. I think uh, that's probably a combination of uh, just AK's personality. I don't know. You've probably – uh, if not been on Zoom, seen some of the Zooms and responses, like he doesn't seem like he doesn't seem like he got in the NBA to, to pat people on the back and talk to media members. You know what I mean? And that's that should be his mindset. Um, but I also think it's just the, the element of detachment when everything's on Zoom and you're not on the court talking to the executives. So that's a large reason. New regime that hasn't really met any of these reporters in person yet whatsoever at all. So uh, I think that's part of the reason. But also, uh, I don't know that this changes the Zach Levine sweepstakes that much. There's nothing that I've heard um, since this went down. I also haven't been asking much about it yet after a busy day here. Uh, But I think Zach Levine's future with the Bulls was already going to depend more on his play and their vision rather than other dynamics in the NBA. and you got to look at it now. Like His trade value is probably at an all-time high the way he's performing this year when he's scoring over 27 points a game, nearly 28 points a game, and just having these uh, spectacular shooting sprees and displays uh, offense and within a system now too, and he's doing it efficiently this year uh, with the help of Billy Donovan's system. So he's got two years left on his contract, two playoff runs if you look at it like that, So I think that's the part that makes him most valuable when he's playing at his highest. He has a fair contract when you're making $19.5 million a year. So I think that's going to push it more than the dynamics in the rest of the NBA. But yeah, you look at a team like the 76ers, I I go back to, to the larger point. I agree Harden would have made more sense there, just because he could have been the offensive initiator and the ball in his hands. They could still use another guy like that. I think Zach Levine would fit somewhere like that. There's no doubt that He's not a number one wheel, not a number one guy for any team uh, with championship aspirations. He's probably not a number two for any team with championship aspirations. But you know what? He could be in Philadelphia. I like that trade fit uh, that you bring it up. Like he could be the second best offensive performer on the team. When you look at Ben Simmons would be the second best player on the team. But he's not a guy who's going to shoot jumpers. He's not a guy that you're going to have a lot of confidence in crunch time to just give the ball and go get a bucket. Uh, when you don't want him going the free throw line and such. So Zach Levine's fit in Philadelphia would make great sense. I certainly think it, it feels like the hammer is going to drop at some point, right? You can't have a, a new regime and just never do anything. I guess you could, but they really haven't done anything yet but sign Garrett Temple and just use their uh, luck, lucky lottery number four pick, it looks like, in a good way with Patrick Williams, who we can get to later. But uh, it feels like there will be action with the Bulls at this trade deadline. I would expect Zach Levine to land in a lot of trade rumors. Thad Young, Thomas Sadaransky, and Otto Porter Jr. Obviously would be very different fits for a variety of teams and worth different value. But, uh, yeah, I think I think you got to pounce if Zach Levine uh, isn't a part of your long-term future, and I don't think he is, just the timeline they're going to be on. you got to get max value out of his trade uh, value now and just the contract he's on with his production at this time.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And, like, looking at the Sixers, like, I'm – We've talked about Zach trades to the Sixers. I feel like for a long time now. Like, I'm curious, like if Simmons, if you're trying to get like Ben Simmons for the Bulls, like it would obviously be Zach and probably draft picks. Like I, I don't even know what to think about Simmons at this point. But I'm really curious, like what a trade would look like if Simmons, if it's not like a blockbuster, including Simmons. Like would it be Zach and? who else are they? Like, I, I mean, Thibault, Maxi. like I'm assuming you'd be looking at guys that, like younger guys like that. That would be super interesting. I'm so, I'm curious what that, what do you like that would look like? You mentioned Thad Young as well. I had someone in my mentions talk about that. Like maybe the Nets would look at someone like Thad Young because he's been playing a lot of small ball five for the bulls. And we talked about how like they could maybe use another big man. Like, I wonder like if the, the person suggests to me, like Dinwiddie, who's out for the season and then like some second round picks, or maybe if there's another first, I don't know. Because I think he's a free agent. This offseason, or I think he can be, but I think that could be possibly interesting looking at Thad Young to the, a team like the Nets. They could use another big man. You mentioned Otto Porter Jr. I know I've looked, it seems like the Celtics might be an obvious choice there because the Celtics have that massive like Gordon Hayward trade exception, and Otto is obviously making whatever $28 million a year. So it definitely will be interesting. I am curious to see what the Bulls do, especially with these vets who have been playing well. Uh, and uh, like You mentioned Garrett Temple's been playing well. Before we talk about the Bulls, the Vets, and Zach Levine, all these guys playing well on the West Coast Road Trip that they just went on, we'll take a quick break uh,
0: to talk about Blue Wire. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
4: Hey, everyone. I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand-new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle is created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast just just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into this program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, please go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more. That's bwhustle.com slash join. We are back, Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast. We're here with Cody Westland. We were talking about James Harden trade. Let's talk about some more Bulls basketball on the court. They just wrapped up, I guess not just, it's been a few days now, uh, because they just had a game postponed against the Boston Celtics because of all the COVID stuff. But they did just, the last game was uh, Sunday against the Clippers, and it was an absolutely wild game, wrapping up a four-game road trip out west. Uh, they went one and three, but it was maybe the most, like, Optimistic you could be about a one and three West Coast trip ever. They obviously had that big comeback victory against the Blazers. Started off where they erased a twenty point deficit and they won that game late. Uh, disappointing loss the next night against the Kings, especially without Darren Fox who went out early. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton t- took over in that fourth quarter and looked really good. Uh, the Bulls scored a lot, but they gave up a lot of points to a Kings team that's not very good. So that was kind of disappointing. But two games against the Lakers and Clippers, they competed the entire time. They never gave up. They There were multiple times in the Lakers game where it looked like they were going to maybe get blown out in the fourth quarter. They kept fighting back, came down to the last possession, Zach Levine missed a shot, and they ended up losing. And kind of the same thing happened in that Clippers game where insane shot making. The Bulls were over like 60% shooting like almost all the entire game. Zach Levine, again, on fire again after also being on fire in that Lakers game. I think he had 38 in the Lakers game and then 44 or 45 against the Clippers and like 10 three-pointers. Again, he missed the last uh, a three pointer that would have tied in the last second after hitting a ridiculous one before that. But either way, one in three, but still a lot to like about what the Bulls are doing on offense. Just their competitive competitiveness level, staying in these games against these good teams. Cody, what was your I guess just your biggest takeaways? Like, what have you like? What have you seen that just especially after those first couple games where it looked like they're going to be terrible? Just the development we've seen since those first couple ugly games, and especially on this road trip with the offense. I believe they had the second or third best offense in the NBA over this last, like, four or five games.
3: Yeah, and I mean, going back to it, you said the most optimistic one-in-three road trip all-time. I think we can just say it. It's the greatest (laughs) one-in-three of all time in any sport away from home, no doubt. Uh, I have full confidence after what we've seen from the Bulls on the West Coast in recent years, but... uh, yeah, and I, I made a couple points that after they beat the Blazers, I was really interested in how they would respond against the Kings just because, I mean, we have seen the Bulls rise up and, and beat teams before that maybe they shouldn't. But would they be competitive the next night? Should they win? I, I thought a win against the Kings would have told us a lot. That game kind of turned on a hair, you know, on um, the Kings making the big shots in crunch time, the four-point play from Buddy Heald after he couldn't hit anything and Zach Levine not hitting kind of uh, last couple shots, three-pointer he had a good look at. Uh, but I think all in all, the defense wasn't there. It hasn't been there all year. But to the offense, I mean, it's been spectacular compared to what we saw before. So the Bulls are 13th or so, I think, in the NBA in offensive efficiency. And it feels like they're getting looks with purpose every time down the floor. And they've been doing it, obviously, I think, what the last seven games without Larry marketing because he's been in COVID protocols, uh, even though he was testing negative, And The hope is he's back for the Bulls against the Thunder on Friday night. He certainly thinks he will be to some extent. But Zach Levine's just, it feels like the quality of looks he's getting is better. And I like what they did, especially on the road trip. I think this is maybe a big thing why they've been more efficient lately. They didn't just make and force Kobe White into the point guard role in the road trip, it felt like they split it a lot with Zach Levine. And I think in that Portland game, certainly, and just who's initiating. It wasn't, it, it never feels like my turn, your turn anymore, but it also doesn't feel like Kobe white. You're the point guard. You have to dribble the ball up the floor and initiate the offense uh, and try to create off the bounce to start this possession and get someone else in advantage to draw a defender. Zach and Kobe were kind of doing that within the flow of the game. I think that's smart because I don't think Kobe White's a point guard by any means, any stretch of the imagination. Uh, So him playing off the ball I think is helpful. But Zach's also not a guy where you can just roll the ball out and expect him to run 70 pick and rolls or 50 pick and rolls in a game. So it felt like they're achieving a balance a little more where it didn't feel like they had that in initiating the offense against the Pacers and Hawks, for example, to open the season. It felt like if the ball was in someone's hands, it was almost by force because it was late in possession and something hadn't worked out. So I I think Zach and Kobe, more than anything, are starting to feel a little more comfort for the Bulls. And the ironic part is maybe Zach's traded in a month or two and it doesn't matter that they have comfort. But I I thought that's what stood out to me a little bit on the West Coast road trip. And And then getting that young back, obviously, just back into a groove of how he wants to play in an offense, not standing in the corner, him slashing to the hoop a little bit. I feel like he's finding his way beyond those guys as well, and Otto Porter Jr. is too. So that's been the biggest thing that stood out to me.
4: Juno, well, I was gonna bring up I guess Otto did have those back injuries. Have you is there any been update any update on Otto's back problems?
3: No update. There wasn't bulls practice today, so okay. no injury update from him. So that'll probably be a Thursday topic certainly. Uh, to figure out for the Bulls.
4: Okay, that's what I thought. And just another another thing, uh, Garrett Temple, we talk about him. He was like the only Bulls move. Garrett Temple has been incredible. He's been closing games. I feel like he hits a timely shot like every night he had – Was the Lakers game where he hit the ridiculous like corner three to keep them alive in that last minute? There, the Blazers game he had those eight points in the in the third quarter after they went down twelve. He's shooting I think over forty percent from three. He's been fantastic. I I was not expecting anything anything from Garrett Temple. I I think we kind of mocked the Bulls for like only signing Garrett Temple as as like a veteran leader guy. He's been fantastic in his closing games. I guess just to that point, like what do you make of? The closing lineups Billy has been using, especially in all these close games that we've seen during this road trip, he's been using Thad at the five a lot, uh, using Garrett Temple when Otto's been healthy. I think he's been out there, and then you have Zach and Kobe in the backcourt. Do you think, especially is this in this quote-unquote development year, like when Lowry comes back and we I mean with Wendell, like do you think he's going to stick with that, or do you think he's going to mix it up more? Maybe maybe we'll get more Wendell closing and or Lowry closing at the five. What do you think will happen there? It's been really
3: fascinating. I think there's some of it's a message behind it, like. Pat Williams, hey, you're going to start, but you know what? You're not going to play in crunch time in the first seven or eight games of the year in the games that are still close down the stretch, and you're going to have to earn it. And then he did earn it with his defense on LeBron, playing yeah. LeBron pretty well. LeBron was still efficient and really good, and that's what happens when you're a rookie against an all-time great. But it Billy Donovan, I, to me, a little bit, that's just accountability, right? Like, you're going to have to earn it. And we like to talk about it and how does it manifest itself through through the years for the Bulls. I mean, there were years when Taj Gibson was uh, a better option at power forward by the way they were playing. But Fred Hoiberg just gave Nico Miritich the starting job, I remember, one year. And later, they didn't give Nico the starting job in as big of a role as he should have had through the years when he was clearly fitting well along Jimmy Butler. Like, they just decide things without seemingly to being accountable to it. So... I feel like there's a message behind some of this for Billy Donovan, but also just I think the veteran lineup after those first couple games went so poorly against the Hawks and the Pacers. It's like we can't be a disaster in crunch time and lose a game that's a tie game because a young guy has a defensive breakdown. Like if this thing goes totally off the rails, it's going to be bad. So I think that's part of the reason why he turned to Garrett Temple and Thad Young so much as well. And you brought up Markin, and uh, obviously he was in the crunch time lineup before he – uh, got hurt and then had COVID the one game he had the little calf injury where he, he didn't play late in the game and I think Otto Porter Jr. replaced him in the crunch time lineup and it's kind of stayed there so there's going to be a lot of interesting choices and honestly I think unless Wendell's playing out of his mind I think he's going to hedge toward Bad Young a lot in crunch time uh, based on matchups because I think Lowry at the five in crunch time too much might be too much for him just defensively and for long stretches there we I think that's fine to use in the second quarter, for example, for a stretch against another team's bench. I think matchup-wise there will be nice he can use it. But everything else equal all things considered, I think he might be hedging towards sad young Larry Markkinen in crunch time at the, at the 405 and maybe Otto's not in there quite as much anymore. And then, of course, you don't pay Garrett Temple $5 million on a one-year <laughs> deal if you're not going to use him in crunch time. So he'll be out there too.
2: I wanted to ask you about Pat because I think Pat has been probably the most fun thing to watch so far this season. Uh, I think like of all the Bulls young guys, he probably already I would say has the brightest long-term future. So, you know, it was obviously a, a huge surprise. If you would have told us a week before the draft that the Bulls took Patrick Williams at number four, it would have been shocking. Uh given what you know about their thought process going into that pick and their expectations for him, what sort of do you think their initial impressions of Patrick Williams is and how Patrick Williams is sort of handling his transition to the NBA as someone who's still the second youngest player in the entire league behind Pukashevsky and OKC?
3: Yeah, I think he has been what they expected him to be. And by that, I mean, he's calm on the floor. He He's really, I know we, we use the word comfort too much, but to be more specific, like he plays at the right speed. It felt like, as a rookie, Kobe White just played too fast sometimes. And I, I don't just mean how fast someone runs or dribbles, but the decision-making. He knows when to pump fake, and at some point, I think NBA players are going to realize that uh, he loves to pump fake, and maybe they don't close out quite as hard on the three-point line, but he's shooting a good clip, a fair clip from there as well. So you, so you have to respect that so far. But just in his reads of the game, too, it feels like he knows uh, where others are going to be, what the system needs to be. So I like it. It's fun. I think part of the reason it's fun to watch him play is because he does kind of methodically go through a possession or something. And then, boom, he springs and tries to dunk on someone's head at the rim, right? And you didn't see it coming, necessarily, because he had been just kind of laid back on the play. So that's a sign, to me, of someone who understands the game, I think defensively, He's done a good job, too, on the backside on defense, helping, knowing when to help, and also splitting between when someone gets beat or you're a little aggressive on on a double team on a trap or something, that means others are going to have to close in the back end. And Pat Young's used his length and just kind of his feel to, to sometimes hedge at one defender, recover to his guy to get his uh, teammate just enough time to get back into the play. And that's something we haven't seen from Bulls players in recent years. They just don't have that defensive feel. So that's why it's been so important for the Bulls to get two-way players who understand both ends of the game and not only have the physical tools but the smarts too because, look, you can't teach raw talent, but you can't entirely teach someone to understand defense as well. And we've seen a lot of that from the Bulls in recent years. So it feels like Pat gets all that. Uh, I don't know what his ceiling is on the offensive end yet, but if he can be a strong two-way player who's really smart and understands the game, like you're really on to something there. So uh, I I, want to see him do more. I think with the ball in his hands will be the next step, obviously. I don't know. They've talked a lot about his Uh, feel and handling for the ball like his point guard background a little bit and you see that on fast breaks when he goes behind the back out of nowhere but the handle's not quite tight enough you know he goes behind the back and the ball kind of takes an extra bounce before he chases it down so I think some of those things will come but there's no doubt you should you should love what you've seen from Pat Williams if you're a Bulls fan.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I, I can't believe he's shooting so well. I know his volume is pretty low on those three pointers, but he's at over, I think he's at like 40, like mid forties percentage wise. And I mean, just watching him shoot those rainbow threes is awesome. And he's shooting them great. And, and it's been great to see. And then the defense stuff, like watching him man up, try to man up against LeBron as we've kind of talked about so far was a lot of fun. Like he, he, I know, he got barreled through. You could argue that could have been an offensive foul on LeBron in that one late, late possession. But I think right before that, I think he forced either a miss or like a turnover. And just the the fact that he's been just like rising to the occasion. Guys are scoring on him, trying to go against LeBron, Kawhi, Giannis. And he had that great quote about how his body was sore after going against Giannis. And like maybe that rising to the occasion might not might not be the right word because those guys have had some success. But I mean, those are the best players in the league. The fact that he's that he's taking those challenges on. And then just like here, both I think LeBron had the great quote after the game of how he really likes what he's seen from Patrick Williams. Uh, I mean, I think Kawhi, I believe Kawhi praised him as well. And I know there, there are those Kawhi comparisons are out there because the, you mentioned like the methodical nature of, of Patrick Williams' game and Kawhi is kind of like that as well, where he's just almost like a robot and he's just kind of, go, it seems like he's going through the motions and then all of a sudden, bam, he, he just hits you with something like, and we talk about a ceiling, like I don't want to go to the Kawhi Leonard like angle there just because Kawhi Leonard is one of the best players in the game. But I mean, you can kind of at least see it because, and Pat even said he, like he models, he models his game after Kawhi. And I mean, you do kind of see, see that out there. So it has, that has been a lot of fun. And then just, you mentioned the two way player stuff as well. Like that just been something the Bulls have been missing for so long. I mean, even the, the guys, the other guys have the Zach great offensive player, bad, def- bad defender. I mean, Kobe White, same, I mean, same way we know Zach and Kobe are kind of similar in their strengths and weaknesses, bad defense. And that's, Kind of manifested itself in the Bulls' bad defense, but and, and, and Wendell more of a defensive guy, not as much offense. Lowry more offense, no defense. And in the past, you've had guys like Chris Dunn, all defense, no offense. So Patrick Williams possibly being that two-way player, and especially a guy in the wing, a big wing like that who can guard superstar players. Uh, if he can really, if he can develop that stuff off, like off the dribble that you mentioned, that would be awesome. And I, I guess him watching him guard, LeB- try to guard LeBron, and some of these guys kind of harken back to watching a rookie Jimmy Butler. Uh, I know Jimmy didn't play as much as a as a rookie, but when he was, uh, I think I feel like he went in against Melo like his rookie season. He like did a great job and like got got us all fired up about Jimmy Butler like shutting down Melo a few times. It's kind of remembering that watching Patrick Williams do that is it's a lot of fun. Do you guys think he's more of
3: a small forward long term, or the Bulls will use him more as a power forward as he gets older and the NBA goes smaller sometimes?
2: Yeah, I'll take I'll take this one. I think yeah. that he could play the function of a wing on offense. But I think on defense, you want him closer to the basket because you've already seen – I mean, I have personally seen that he struggles to get over screens. That's something a lot of young players deal with, especially when you're uh, competing at, you know, NBA speed against bigger guys. But I think that, you know, that's something he's going to have to work on. Teams are sort of targeting him, running him off multiple picks. Uh, I think he's struggled a little bit there. But where he's really good, he's good in a couple spots. And one is – just being an active help defender and knowing when to crash down. I tweeted a little video of like him at the nail, being able to cause some turnovers with his length, his intelligence. I think he's been excellent there. Then we've all also seen him make some plays at the rim. So to me, what was always intriguing about Pat Williams defensively is that perhaps he could cover for a five who's less skilled defensively, who maybe has an offense or a set leading more towards offense. Uh, I definitely want to see some lineups with Lowry at the five and with Pat at the four. I think like Cody mentioned, you know, in the middle of games, not in crunch time is the time you experiment with that. But, you know, I think that they definitely have to try to flush out his on-ball offensive skill set. What we've seen so far has been encouraging. I still think ultimately you want him defensively closer to the basket because he just is really good at walling up at the rim. He's a pretty good rebounder times, uh, well, I guess his, his rebounding is come and gone, but I think he will be able to rebound in the league long term. And I like some of the added rim protection he gives you. So, yeah, I still like him closer to the basket defensively.
3: And that speaks to that backline defensive help, which I think uh, he's been pretty good at positionally so far and challenging when he needs to. A uh,
2: couple, couple final questions for you, Cody. First of all, uh, how much do you miss Jim Boylan?
3: <laughs> I... I, I mean, I miss him. I can't lie. I can't come on <laughs> the podcast and be called a liar. Boy um, the hoop. There's no other way to put it. Uh, I will say this: like, I, it's been real refreshing to like talk basketball with Billy Donovan and get like a detailed breakdown and feel like you're smarter after having the conversation rather than feeling like you were at the bar like eight beers deep and someone overheard your conversation and wanted to say, yeah, the Bulls need to play with more heart. You know what I mean? spirit. More problem, more spirit. Like, like we, it just, it, it was entertaining. And, you know, Jim Boylan was the right coach for a team that was really bad if you're a media member because what do you write about on March, like, 5th when the Bulls lose another game by 20 points and it's really dispiriting? Well, you just show up and turn your recorder on and jim boylan will write the story for you um so i do miss that uh but it's been really refreshing to see bulls basketball that's more fun to watch on the court um and also just i've been impressed with billy donovan too like you ask him about kobe white's defense and billy talks he's long-winded but he'll give you two minutes on how kobe like not setting the tone and initiating defensive possession put his teammates on an island and hard choices and say, this is what Kobe has to identify sooner. And you're like, oh, Kobe didn't read the opposing point guard's hips because he was too lost on a screen or something. You know what I mean? So that's been really refreshing, but I miss, there's no doubt, Ricky, I miss Jim Boylan. It's true.
2: And then too, like what have been, what's been your experience so far covering the team over Zoom instead of being in the gym every day? How has that been challenging? And what do you think about that experience?
3: Oh, you know, it's, uh, it's fine. I, I've been really impressed with the players to be honest, how they've, they've been like, I feel equally as honest, equally as forthcoming and like understanding the circumstances. I mean, they're, they're taking as many questions as they did before, if not more. Um, sometimes people actually want to ask more questions on zoom rather than in a scrum. I don't know if it's just because there are not sweaty people that smell bad around you or something, but, um, I I thought that – I'd give it a testament to the players. Like, they've treated it very well, and like you brought up earlier, James Harden just – I mean, I think that was in a Zoom call the other night where he's just like, yeah, this ain't going to work, and he leaves the Zoom call. I guess he didn't take many more questions. But uh, they've been good. But, I mean, it's impossible. But the hard part, the part that sucks, is that there are a lot of times like you turn the recorder off and – people would disperse a little bit and a couple of us would actually ask about a possession, you know, like, what went wrong here? Like, I know you're not going to put your coach or teammate on blast here or criticize anyone. And then they'd criticize Jim Boyle. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's the part that, like, what what the hell is going on this play, so-and-so that was in the Bulls game in crunch time? And that individual would be like, yep, didn't do this, didn't do that here. So that's the part I miss. Like, sometimes you – you're or talk about it and you have to assume something might not have went the way uh, it should have, because maybe, maybe you can't get that off the record information or just background um, from these guys. So that's why it's a little harder to explain some things, but in general, I, I think it's still been as good as you could possibly hope. I think considering how difficult the circumstances are doing it remotely.
4: Nice. And I'm going to wrap up here. It's kind of going back to differences between Jimbo and Billy and just kind of schemes, of how the team is playing. Uh, Cause we haven't talked about the defense that much. We've kind of mentioned that it sucks in general, but we talked about the offense. It's looking great. I know I think B ball breakdown did a good video about the differences between the bulls offense this year and the bulls offense under Boylan go watch that. If you haven't, but looking at the defense, we know there was a lot of points contention about the, Blitzing defense with Boylan last year now they're doing the drop defense and there's been plenty of conversation about like is Wendell dropping too much and that's been talked about a ton on the broadcast blah 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 on all the drop defense like do, do you have an issue with how they're playing the, like playing that defense do you think they, they should adjust more like what do you think Billy is seeing there you, you talked about how like the with Kobe and Zach like how they're struggling at the point of attack because I think I can't remember which game it was where he I think it was a game where Wendell was getting called out in the broadcast for dropping too far, but it was, I think, and then Billy came out and said, no, like it's actually the guys at the point of attack, like aren't doing enough. Because what do you make of this defense? Do you think it can, do you think it's going to be this bad all year? Do you think he'll adjust it at all? Maybe to do a little more, like I don't even know if they can blitz with this personnel because they don't have Chris Dunn and Shaq Harrison anymore to like disrupt like that. Like he says, what do you think of this, this defense? And can it get any better? Because right now it is really bad. It's as optimistic as we are about the offense and like kind of the competitiveness, defense is like 28th or 29th in the league, and it's it's
3: awful. Yeah, I think it's the second worst in the league now, and I I think you can improve a little bit, but this is probably going to be a bottom five or six defense all year. Like, the Bulls' improvement needs to come marginally on defense and then marginally on offense and try to be a top 10 or 12 offense uh, and see what you can do if you pair those together because – They don't have the personnel, which is why I actually agree with the drop defense, because if you don't have Shaq Harrison and Chris Dunn, and that's a decision that was obviously made in November, is free agency went by real quick. They didn't bring him back. I don't think you can do that and put Wendell Carter and the rest of the team in that situation when uh, you don't have those premier perimeter defenders. So the hard part is, if you look back... The criticism of Jim Boylan wasn't that they blitzed or it shouldn't have been that they blitzed because the defense did do well. It's that he didn't ever adjust. Yeah. That was, he was very rigid and set in his ways and that goes to pretty much every element. You look at offense, never really uh, switched Lowry marketing's role too much. Obviously, just his, his demeanor and his attitude about how you approach problems, like I'm the CEO and we have to have more heart. That never changed. So Billy Donovan already has express more willingness, it feels like, to change and adjust from game to game. I know he's used Thad Young a little bit more uh, in situations late in games where he feels like he needs to get Thad up higher or Thad can can be on an island with a, a opposing point guard better than Wendell can, stuff like that. So the problem is it's such a fine line with so little margin of error for Billy to pull all the right strings every night on that and hit that, that's going to be why it's so difficult. So that's why I think there can be a little bit of improvement with the Bulls understanding the system better and getting everyone together. And then also, I think, Billy making the correct adjustments. But that's a lot to put on him. And really, like Billy's been widely praised for being a player's coach, for being open with his players, for being honest. I mean, the biggest criticism of him probably in Oklahoma City was he was not a high-end tactician and strategist late in games, right? Like when the Thunder were um, playing the, the trailblazers, for example, uh, I think in the playoffs they got eliminated when they had maybe a better roster or his first year, I believe when they had KD and Russ still. Um, that's been the criticism of him. So to see him adjust in Chicago is interesting. And I think he's pulled a few of the right levers, but uh, he's going to have to pull a lot of them. But at his base, yeah, I agree with the drop defense defense. I agree really with what he said, too, with Zach and Kobe not playing good enough on-ball defense and trying to cover for Wendell, and he's covered a lot for Wendell this year. Like, he really has. That's been one of the fascinating storylines. You're one of 16 shooting threes. Keep shooting them. Sure, shoot two or three of them. Bank your first one in. Finally, I'm fine with that. And then defensively, oh, yeah, you know, Wendell got burnt. Like, Stacey King, like, we had two or three straight games of the only storyline was, like, the drop defense. yeah <laughs> That was it. That was the whole storyline. And they nailed it, too, because um, it did come back to burn the Bulls, I think, against the Kings, for example. But Billy covered for Wendell Carter Jr. there. So it's been interesting to me how he's covered for Wendell and, like, kind of taken a different approach with Kobe, challenging him to be better. Kobe goes for 20 points and eight assists, and Billy's like, I still think he can organize the offense better. Wendell has a bad game or, or has a good game, and he's, he's backing him. Um, so he's taken different approaches with different players. And again, this isn't anything he doesn't tell these guys behind the scenes, but I think it's kind of indicative of how he feels like they need to get a message publicly and how they might receive a message. And honestly, how Wendell's confidence seems to, to be a concern to the bulls at times, Billy uplifting him. It feels like to him directly behind the scenes and then publicly as well. Um, in a way, maybe he thinks Kobe takes the challenge on a little bit more directly um, and maybe he doesn't want Kobe looking at the box score. So I guess that's a long-winded tangent. That's no longer talking about defense, but deal defense, good. a problem all year, I think, for the Bulls.
4: No, yeah, that's a, no, that's definitely something to look out for, especially just the way he handles these young guys, and it's all part of this whole developmental year or whatever. But uh, I guess my, my fi- this is actually my final question here. just real quick. The Bulls are four and seven now, which I feel like. Looking at the schedule before the year, maybe you expected them to maybe be three and eight uh, because it was a tough schedule. They did catch a break, like missing Luca. Uh, the Blazers game was an unexpected win, but they did be, they did lose to the Kings. So I feel like they're right around where you maybe would expect them to be. Like I said, three and eight, four and seven, probably right around there. A bit more competitive in some of these games, though. So, so from what you've seen so far, if you had to guess right now, look, I just look at the landscape of the rest of the East in general. Do you think the Bulls will make the play in tournament? I don't think so. I
3: think they'll finish 11 or 12. Uh, there's no doubt they're better than the Pistons. I think they're going to be better than the Cavs. Uh, but like, I just, I come back to this. I think the Hornets are better with Gordon Hayward than the Bulls a little bit over the course of the year. I also think the big thing, and a big reason I say this is because I do think they'll trade a veteran or two at the trade, right? Yeah. And that will hurt them. Um, and I think that will be the difference. The Bulls are, should be better than the Wizards, but you look along in the standings, the Raptors will ascend above them. And, Like, I'm sitting here watching the Nets-Knicks game right now as we record this, and the Knicks are losing. But, like, you know, Tibbs is going to play like Julius Randle 47 minutes a game and R.J. Barrett 48 if he has to, right? Like, Tibbs is going to be in Leon Rose's ear, like, get me one more veteran at the trade deadline, even if the goal is three years down the road. And, like, no matter what, like, if there's a tournament, like, Tibbs is going to want that 10 seed. Like, I feel like he's going to want it more in New York than the Bulls will even want it in Chicago. So, uh, just just all those reasons, I feel like the Bulls obviously are better than probably three teams in the East, but I, I just don't think by the time they pare down their roster a little bit with trade deadline um, exits that they're gonna make the playoffs. Do you think those do you guys think they will?
2: No, and for the same reason, I think they're gonna trade people. I mean, I, I sort of hope they trade people because I think you know Donovan to this point has done a really good job balancing, being competitive while also developing the guys, but at a certain point, like you're either going to need to improve your talent base or your asset base this season. And it just seems like improving the asset base is the more realistic avenue for him. So uh, (laughs) I'm hopeful there's some trades coming, but you know, that's just my take. What do you think, Jace?
4: Yeah. I mean, I definitely think they should make trades and like these vets have clearly been stabilizing the lineup. I mean, if you look at like the lineup splits, like the young starting lineup has been terrible. Even when you take Lowry out and you put Otto in, uh, it's been, brutal just the lineup data is terrible and you when you look at like Thad Young and Garrett Temple they're like plus minus on off stuff like those guys are like both in the pluses i think so like if you did move those guys and it's just like all young guys and it's the all like young lineups all the time they probably would be worse uh, but I'm still convinced that they could possibly get the ten. I don't know. I don't know if I could say a gun <laughs> to my head like that they actually would. So I guess you could shoot me. But we like, a believer, we got a believer. <laughs> I don't, like I guess I don't think they could get any higher than ten. But just like look, I am curious to see like what happens with the Raptors. Like they're better than two and eight. But like if they don't get that much better, like will they trade Kyle Lowry? Maybe. I I, I don't know. Like they they have no like good big men. I think they, you mentioned the Cavs and Knicks. I think the Cavs and Knicks will fall. We'll see. I, we'll see how hard charging the Knicks go for that ten seed. Like with Tibbs, like he's going to try to win games. But uh, the Hornets will be interesting. Lamelo Ball has looked pretty damn good, uh, so that's really good for them. And Hayward has been really good. Uh, so yeah, I, I think they could get the ten. Like I'm not, I can't say that they're going to, but I still think they can get it. But if they do trade, the, if they do trade like all of Otto Thad, I, I think Temple will probably be here all year. But if like Thad and Otto are the guys you're looking at most likely, and I guess Sato as well, but yeah, we'll see. You I don't know. That.
3: The Raptors are fascinating. It would be very Raptors-like because they're so well run to just have this be their tanking year and get like the two or three pick and Cade Cunningham or Jalen Suggs or something and just orchestrate an immediate rebuild and, and back to business or not even a rebuild, just influx of a phenomenal young player.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Ricky, you have any final thoughts here? No, I think we can wrap up. All right, Cody, thanks uh, for coming on again. Uh, I guess let, let everybody know where uh, we can find your stuff and just, uh, I guess, whatever you whatever you got.
3: 670thescore.com. You can listen to all Bulls games. 670thescore. Chuck Sworski, Bill Winnington, you guys know that. Uh, I know it's COVID, but uh, those guys are doing a great job. We're still trying to cover the Bulls as much as possible. And now that the Bears have got all their business out of the way, Chicago can turn its attention to what they really should be watching, and that's the Bulls this year.
4: I think the Blackhawks started tonight, right? Uh, I think they're actually going to be tanking. Uh, for yeah. Really new- <laughs> yeah. You mentioned the Bears, though. Obviously, a miserable Bears press conference for all those Bears fans out there. With Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy coming back, and George McCaskey and, or, and uh, Ted Phillips talking for. Hour and a half, but just an absolutely miserable hour and a half. And Cody, I know you had a lot of fun doing that, covering that with the score, but awful, awful day. Be excited to get the Bulls back since they've been off for basically a week now because they did not have this game against the Celtics last night, which is unfortunate. Although I guess it would have been like against the Celtics, like D team. So I don't think we really would have learned that much. But uh, Bulls' next game is Friday at Oklahoma City. We know they play, so that's going to be a Billy Diamond return. Uh, the Bulls did play them twice in the preseason. Uh, the Bulls won one game, and then they got their ass beat in the other one. I guess they did come back and win in garbage time, but that'll be interesting. The Thunder have been a little better than I expected, so we'll see how that game goes. It'll be interesting after this long layoff. And then they got the Bulls got the Mavericks again on Sunday. And then Monday is, uh, the Rockets who will be again, fascinating that they have Victor Oladipo. Now, uh, they're three and six, but now Harden's gone. Maybe they'll be re-energized with Oladipo, with John Wall, with DeMarcus Cousins, with Christian Wood. So it'll be an interesting next few games here. Uh, Sunday will be fun with Luca and then the Rockets again, will be, uh, will be fast, fascinating as well. So, uh, thanks again, Cody, for coming on. Great stuff to hear about Just someone with close insight with this team as a beat guy. Great stuff after this road trip. Um, as always, shout out to the Blue Wire Network. Shout out to Blue Wire Hustle. Go check out some of those details. We'll have more information in our podcast description. So go check that out if you're interested in getting into podcasting. A lot of fun doing it. Um, for, go listen, check out all the other pods across the Blue Wire Network if you're interested in other teams. We have great NBA stuff. we got the NFL playoffs going on right now, and there's plenty of other great podcasts across the network. Uh, so for us here at Cash Considerations, it has been Jason Rickey. Thanks again to Cody for coming on. Talk to you guys next time. Take it easy.